0: father we are so thankful that um christ is enough for us and uh we thank you that in this room here today we have decided to follow him no turning back so we ask you lord that you would lead us as we minister through the word this morning we pray in jesus name amen good to be back in fermanagh god's country um feels a little bit like my second home up here i love it so uh Love that tempo, road. I was sent to the guys just coming and seeing over the town, over the city. Is it a skill in the city or a town? Is it a? Well, yeah. oh, two to three don't. There you go. So it's a city. Got to be a city. Yeah. Huge city. It's an island, isn't it? There's it is an island. So there you go. Um, yeah, it's a great place. I better leave it there. We're going to minister through John's Gospel this morning. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Thank you for allowing us into your homes. Um, we say back in Emmanuel, we didn't expect it to be this long, but here we are. It's not the way we want it, but thank God it's the way we can do it at the moment. And um, with the spring, it does look like um, we will uh, be able to get back into buildings again sometime relatively soon. Um, which we're excited about, just to see each other face to face, which would be so good. Um, It's kind of weird, actually, because I've been used now for a year to preach into a camera, and with some people in the room, I'm sort of not sure where to look, um, but I look at the camera, and I look around, there's some of the elders and leaders, and some of the people who are making this all happen in the room, which is lovely to have some fellowship um, small as it is. John 1, all right. John 1, 1. Um, it'll be on the screens. And I came up without the little remote, Sam. So kind I? Sorry. Um, I have it on the screens as well. Now I've just walked away off your cameras, so there you go. It's just proving it's a live show. So, uh, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> just to disappear to come back. Um, I'm reading John 1, 1, a couple of verses at the start, and then a few verses on into 35 to 43. And uh, as I say, it'll be on the screens, I think. All right? Are we going? Yep. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things that were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then we're jumping to verses 35. Where am I now? Here we go. Um, The next day... Um, John was standing with two disciples, and he looked um, at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and said to them, following them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you're Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, I know the Lord will bless. He always does the reading of His Word. Um, the gospel of John was born out of a deep, loving relationship that John had with Jesus. This was the boy that used Jesus' chest as a cushion. Bible tells us that he would have laid his head on Jesus' breast. He's also, by way, the revelator. He's the writer of the great final book in our Bible, who when he sees this same Jesus in his glorified state in Revelation 117, says he falls down as a dead man. So, while Matthew begins his book with a whole lot of begats, actually 16 verses of them to be precise, John doesn't do that. John wants you to know that before all the begatting began, something had already begun, that's basically what he's saying. And he starts his book with, in the beginning, because every Jewish mind would have known the Torah really well, and he would, when he said that, heads would have raised. He would have got people's attention right away. He's saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John wants us to know that before God created, there was something that already existed there, even before the beginning. And you get this, there was something there before the beginning of creation. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So we can read John 1 actually before Genesis 1. That's the beautiful thing about this. Before creation began... In the beginning, something already was there, and it was the Word. Now, this morning, what I want to do, I want to take us on a bit of a journey, and I want to show you how Jesus chose His team from the very outset, to try and show you this morning that, that we are chosen in Christ. Those of those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and if you're a believer this morning, then the Bible tells us that you're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, that's the first thing I want to say to you. You are chosen all right? Now, if you want to know if you're chosen or not, the old brethren preachers used to come whenever I was a boy, and they used to say that if you want to know whether you're chosen or not, you need to choose his choice, and that's really important, all right? Now, in 2004, I'm not much into movies a, a, a lot, but I do, like, I do like a good movie, and in 2004, there was this movie called Ray, and um, uh, it was uh, the story of Ray Charles, now, he was acted in the 2004 movie, uh, he was acted by Jimmy Foxx, and it won an Oscar. And young Ray, the story goes how he watched his brother drown at age seven, and then got blinded at the age of nine, and his hard-working mother urged him not to go down the self-pity. So he rises through the ranks of the Seattle jazz scene, struggling with drug addiction, infidelity while on the road, yet supported by his wife, Ray Charles redefines soul music and inspires a generation for probably more than 30 years. Now in 2005, the movie was nominated for an Academy Award, and Jamie Foxx being interviewed admits the fame, the attention, and of course the money went to his head, and he became a bit of a party animal on drugs and drink. So much so that people started to get really concerned about him, and Oprah Winfrey realizes that he's about to destroy his life, and he's about to destroy his Oscar-winning moment, and she decides to challenge him, and she invites him round to her house. Now, he, Jimmy Fox, is telling this story, and he says when he got over to her home, um, Jimmy said the room was filled with legends, and immediately he said he, was, he felt intimidated by the power in the room. And then, or- Orper Winfrey introduced Jamie Foxx to um, Quincy Jones and Sidney Potter Now, if you're my age or older, you will remember these guys. They're both still alive. Quincy Jones is 87, Sidney Potter is 94. And these boys were giants in their profession. They were men who had paved the way. They were like fathers in that sort of profession. And Jamie says, this is the moment that would captivate him and probably change his life Forever. Sidney Potter says to him in that sort of deep old voice, that old soul voice, we've been watching you from a distance. And today we want to charge you with responsibility. Today we want to charge you with responsibility. What they were saying was, We we want you to turn up at the Oscars, okay, Jamie Son, but we just don't want you turning up empty-handed. We we need to show you. that that you need to show up carrying responsibility. We need you to be prepared because a moment like this is too important to come to unprepared. We're coming to a moment in our time, I believe, that it's desperately important that you show up carrying responsibility. A bit like... um, It's a bit like when your kids hit five or six, and you realize that you're no longer just carrying about a little ball of flesh, that you're trying desperately hard not to hurt themselves or kill themselves. Like, don't touch that, mind that step, don't do this, don't do that. All of a sudden, then you start giving them the gift of responsibility, like, pick your own clothes up, wash your own hands and face, don't hit a lady, ever, even though she's your sister. All of that stuff, the world doesn't actually revolve around you, son, daughter. This is what Paul meant when he talked to young Timothy and gave him the charge of Ephesus. He's saying, I'm giving you responsibility. It's what God meant when he put Adam in the garden. I'm giving you responsibility. It's what God meant when he he sent Abram out to, to start a whole new nation. I'm giving you responsibility. It's what Jonathan meant when he gave David his robe and his belt and his sword. I'm giving you responsibility. And it's what Jesus meant when he calls the disciples and said, follow me. I'm giving you responsibility. So not only have we been chosen, but we've been chosen to to get this responsibility. God is calling us to an idea of having responsibility. And so we are chosen, not just chosen, but we're chosen to display a responsibility. Jesus called us, and we can't keep this to ourselves. We have to pass it on. This is what legacy is all about. He, he's, he's calling these men to give responsibility to them to change their lives and the lives of the world forever. These men would give their all, their very lives, to make this message known to the uttermost parts of the earth. My mom used to say to me, son, only what's done for Jesus will last. There was that great old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. All the stuff we do in life, the striving, the anxiety, the worry, the social media, the binging, the spotlight of eternity, on it we have to ask the question, will it last? When the flamethrower of God's eternal eye comes on it, will it be gold, or will it be wood, hay, and stubble, and just go whoosh? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ. Well, as God is calling us, whether in business, as a nurse, a teacher, a shop assistant, a homemaker, a lorry driver, a youth worker, a pastor, whatever He's called you to do, you need to know God is expecting a return. God is expecting a return, and He asks you, and He asks I today, what what, what have I given you, and what are you giving back to me in the light of what I've given you? Now, come on now. We've got to understand this. We've got to give Him more than just a church attendance because we can't even give Him that in a moment. We've got to give Him everything. Love's so amazing, the old song says, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. I love how Jesus called ordinary, regular people, hardworking men who would just down tools and give up and follow Him. And over the next three years, He would train these men Not just to do one thing, no, but to follow Jesus in all of their lives. About three years ago, back in Emmanuel, we did a little study around discipleship and we we asked we asked started to ask our elders and ask our team and our staff what what did what did discipleship mean? And we were getting all these different answers. They were all good and all right. And we began to realize that there was this broad consensus of what discipleship was, but none of us really fully had it tuned in to what we felt it was. And so we coined this little phrase that discipleship is following Jesus in all of life. That's what discipleship is, following Jesus in all of life. So um, teaching our people how to follow Jesus in their marriage with their spouse, how to raise their kids, how to budget their money, how to handle conflict in a job situation, how to follow Jesus in all of life. That's what true discipleship is. So when my wife sends me with a list of Tesco's, I get nervous because I usually get it wrong. Like the note says butter, and I come home and she says, that's not the butter we use. And, um, and then she says say something to me, like, do you not know the color of the, like, the butter carton that we use. Like, how long do I spend looking in the fridge studying the butter carton? Um, like, this, this is what happens, and I get test Tesco's. I'm like a rabbit in headlights. I, I, I look at the note. I go up one aisle, down another, trying to look for one thing half an hour later. I'm way out of my comfort zone. That's what it's like if we see people saved, and they come to our church, and we don't disciple them. That's exactly what happens. They're way out of their comfort zone, and we're expecting them to come home with all the right stuff. I, uh, we lost B&Q in Craig Evan, and we got Screwfix instead. Now, Screwfix is okay, but it's not, not the same. It's not the same as walking up and down the aisles, and, and so just pre the last lockdown, I had to meet somebody in Sprucefield, in ground coffee in Sprucefield, and yes, you're right, there's a B&Q in Sprucefield. Now, I know you're thinking I should get out more. So I thought I'd go a little early to my coffee appointment. I'd get a little, a few things on my note that I needed to get. And I went in being a bit of a handyman. I love B&Q and I love walking up and down the aisles of the store. So I went in and this old guy was wearing a B&Q apron. Now, when I say an old guy, he's my age, all right? So um, he's sort of my age and he came up to me and he says to me, are you lost, sir? And I said to him, I used to be, but Jesus found me. And he started to laugh, and he says, oh, that's so good. He says, I'm a believer too. And we had this sort of bit of a chat, and then he says, look, I know you love Jesus now, but you still actually look lost. Now, I wasn't dead sure how to handle that question. I think he meant in the store. I hope that's what he meant. But now, he didn't hold my hand, but I showed him the note. He didn't hold my hand. That was in a way too weird. But he did say this to me. He said, just follow me. And he took me around the store, and he took me around everything in my note. Actually, when I got everything, he even walked me to the till. Now I'm not dead sure whether he was making sure I'd pay or just making sure I'd leave. I'm not dead sure. But, but something happened there. The point is, that's church. And that's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, follow me. There's a massive difference between pointing the way to something and taking someone and taking them along with you on the journey. And that's the massive difference. And sometimes when I go into Tesco's and they say, well, ask where something is, and they say it's two aisles down past the bananas and the shelf above the butter and the milk somewhere there too. Like, what's that all about? And I'm, I'm, so, so we're chosen, and we're chosen with a responsibility to follow Jesus. And thirdly, let me say, last and third point, we need to use what we have to use. God has given us something to use. All right? When we look at a couple of other gospel references to this story, we see a powerful story emerge. All right? Now, if we were to go to the calling of the disciples in Matthew 4, there's an interesting passage in Matthew 4, if we'll go to that one, that first one. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're casting a net. Get this now. They're casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, and the very thing you're doing practically, what you've got in your hand right now, and what you're doing practically, I will turn that around and use that very gift for you to catch people. not that interesting? Because he goes on down the shore in the next couple of verses in this, and it says, going down from there, he saw two other brothers, James and his brother John, they were sons of Zebedee, and they were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing and mending their nets and Jesus called them. And they immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Isn't it interesting that they were preparing and mending, and the other boys were casting, and the guys that were casting, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the guys who were mending became the fathers and menders and fixers of the church. Pretty incredible, isn't it? That he actually takes the very gifts that they're using, All right, Jesus uses their gift to another cause. You see, this is what Jesus does. He's incredible at this, isn't it? No coincidence that Peter was the guy who preached the first gospel message under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people got saved and baptized in the one day. James and John, as they say, would become the defenders and fathers of the faith, the menders and fixers of the church. So remember how God said to Moses in an earlier day, what is in your hand? What have you got, Moses? What is already resting and abiding in your hand? Now, if you're wondering the day of God can use you, then the question will be to you, what are you willing to give me? What are you willing to give me? Now, I'm not asking you to come and work in church. We don't need more people to come and work in church. No, we need more people to serve God outside the church. We need, new, more people. we need more people working in engineering. We need more people working in the bank, serving coffee at Costa for the glory of God, teaching kids in school for the glory of God. What is in your hand? What skills do you have? You like numbers and accounting? Then use it. You like organizing? Use it. You like talking? Talk. You like driving? Get a driving job. Editing and designing. Whatever is in your hand, do it for the glory of God. You like business? Then do some good deal. Be the best businessman, businesswoman that you can be. Build it for him. Use what is in your hand. This is part of the Romans 12 giftings we call them the gifts of the Father. You have the gifts of the Father, you have the gifts of the Son, and you have the gifts of the Spirit. So the gifts of the the Father are those Romans 12 giftings that I actually believe are born in you. You actually don't even need to be saved to have them because all of us are born in the likeness and image of God, and you're born with those inbred Romans 12 giftings in you. And so they're basic life-functioning gifts to every single person born in you. And the problem, some of us, is that they're still in our hands and we've actually never given them over to His hands. That's the problem. And here's the deal. When you give it over, God sanctifies it, and it becomes used for His glory and His kingdom. It's interesting, whenever um, God appeared to Moses in Exodus 4, and He asked Him to throw the rod down, and then He asked Him to pick it up again, you never again read of it as the rod of Moses. From that on, it's called the rod of God. So what the rod of Moses went down when he picked it up again. He picked it up for his glory. We sometimes talk about the feeding of the five thousand and the miracle that it was. But what about what about who God used? A kid with a lunch and twelve guys who weren't dead sure what they were doing but they give to Jesus what they had, and the rest is history. He was able to do the miracle because he used the lad, and um, his availability of a lunch, and the availability of the disciples. So, take your organizational skill, take your business, take your job, take your family, and place them into the hands of the King of Kings and into the living God. Because here's the deal, ability without availability is just a liability. Ability without availability is just a liability. He will take the natural and he will add his super to it. That's what makes it supernatural. So if he adds the super, can I ask you, who, asked the, who, who adds the natural? And so when we give our natural and he gives his super, it becomes supernatural. Like a golf club in my hand just gives me a long weary walk through long grass looking for a ball. In Rory McElroy's hands, it gives him four major championships and a contract with Nike worth $200 million dollars. A football in my hand will get you a broken window. And in, in Ronaldo's hands nets him $450 million net worth. A tennis racket in my hand might get a bit of fun. And Andy Murray's hand makes him worth 79 million quid. You see, it depends whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands will get me a trip to a and a hospital bed, and a tetanus injection. Nails in Jesus' hands will give us a blood that transforms the, the world, washes away the sin of the world, it all depends whose hands it's in, you see. My life in my hands brings destruction, but in the hands of Jesus Christ, it brings me redemption, it brings me heaven as my home, makes me bound for eternity with God forever. Are you in His hands today, or have you wrangled out of His grip? have you wrangled out of the grip of grace that is on your life? Maybe, maybe today you need to hear these words yet again where he backens and says, follow me. Maybe there's someone listening and you once followed and now you've got lost, slipped out of that grip of grace. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says, all who call upon me will be saved. Three times over it tells us those exact words, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's beckoning you, and you've maybe been struggling up and down the aisles of life looking for the right product. I'm telling you here today, we can give you the right product. His name is Jesus, and in that living relationship it will change your life forever. I uh, will close with the, the Great Commission. Matthew twenty eight eighteen to 20. I love this. Just three things. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is just three things he tells us to do. Make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And he says, when you do those three things, simple, isn't it? We make discipleship hard, it's just so simple. He says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. There's a great story about the great composer, Pascini, and uh, they reckon that his operas were probably um, the most famous in all the world. He was stricken with cancer in 1922, and um, He was determined to write his final opera, which was called Tarando, which was some consider his best piece of work. His students implored him to rest and save his strength, but he persisted, remarking at one point, if I do not finish this, my students will finish it. 1924, Pascini was taken to Brussels to be operated on. He died two days after his surgery, but his students did actually finish his work. And in 1926, there was a gala premiere held in Milan under the baton of Pussini's favourite student, a guy called Toscanini. And uh, all went brilliantly that evening until they came to the point in the score where the master had been forced to put down his pen. Toscanini turned away from the orchestra, faced the audience, face wet with tears, stopped the production, set down his baton and cried out, thus far the master wrote. And then he died. He bowed his head. Tears were streaming down his face. And after a few moments, he lifted his head. Big smile. Still face wet with tears. Big smile. Toscani picked up the baton again and he says, but his disciples finished his work. Can I say to you that our master died he was raised from the dead. He ascended to the Father. And he left us the most important task in all the world to finish the work, to proclaim the great salvation amongst the nations. Is it any wonder we call it the Great Commission? The Great Commission. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. To each and every one, we must commit ourselves to a living relationship with a living God. That's what it's all about. We must commit ourselves to one another as members of God's household, and we must commit ourselves to know, to live by, and defend God's Word of truth. What about you today? Are you up to following Him today? Are you up to maybe even for the first time to say, you know what, I need to get this sorted out in my life? Because here's the deal. People talk about being self-made. Like, nobody's really that self-made. Without Jesus, we're all lost. Without Jesus, we have no hope. There is no hope for us, and there is no hope for the world. And we are living in a day. We are living in a day. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, this could be the fourth watch of the night. Jesus came to the disciples in the fourth watch of the night when it seemed the darkest, when it seemed the bleakest, when the storm was about to overcome them, and in, in, in moments they were at the shore. And maybe, just maybe, we could be in the fourth watch of the night. Maybe the eternal rescue is at hand, but the sorrowing thing would be that you would miss it, and for you the cry would be too late. So let's pray. Let's say, give our word to the Lord, whatever it is in your hand. Today, my charge here in Fermanagh, as I prayed over your city this morning, my charge to you is to say, from the word from the Lord today for you is, I give you responsibility. Are you going to use what's in your hand? Because if not, it just dies with you, and it's null and void. So, Father, I pray and seal this word. Um, this morning, I pray, God, as it enters every home, as it enters every heart, God, that we would be challenged to live for you. We would be challenged, oh God, to sort our lives out in preparation of eternal matters. God, for those of us who maybe have just lost our, little, our way a little bit and lost the grip of, of grace on our lives, Father, today we want to rededicate and say, God, all for Jesus, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. So seal your word, blessed to every family, blessed to every life. And God, may our hearts rise today and worship to you. As we say, thank you for all you are and for all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.